So um, last week, uh, some of you may have been here and the uh, Dharma talk was abruptly terminated by possibly demonic influences. And we had no clue. I could not figure out what happened. And so there's no means of preventing it today unless the uh, demons will, you know, settle down a little bit. So I'm apologizing in advance. First, the sound vanished. And then a few seconds later, the picture vanished. And no amount of fiddling made any difference. So I was going to say that drawback of, or one drawback of having a system like this is um, I have to look at myself while I'm giving a talk. And this morning I, I look particularly dyspeptic, at least that's how it seems to me. So excuse me for looking dyspeptic, but I think that's out of my control. That is a lovely English word, dyspeptic. You don't hear it so much anymore. I think I t uh, technically it means your digestion is off. And, uh, of course, people had a different understanding of digestion back then. Uh, and to some extent still do today. The French have the expression uh, crise de foie, which I guess, depending on the context, can mean either a crisis of faith or a liver attack. So anyway, uh, be prepared for anything. Uh, I don't, it was not dyspepsia that brought me to Buddha Dharma. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I am 71, so Um, I guess that was uh, 54 years ago. And the, um, I think the, if I can remember back to when I was 17, the uh, impulse that sent me searching for some kind of spiritual endeavor whose results were not merely pie in the sky. 
And uh, I was not able to meet Thomas Merton or Brother David Steindelrast or any of those, or, or uh, let me see, um, oh, what is her name, sister? Anyway, any of the male or female religious who had investigated the possibilities in Christianity and could convey them to others. I was not able to meet any such person. So I, I had to go shopping. And finally, what um, I think caught my attention about Buddha Dharma was that it appeared to address right off the bat existential issues. Perhaps like many, uh, many another adolescent, at that age, I was in fact preoccupied with existential issues. So Buddhism, Buddha spoke to me. And there ensued now 50 some odd years, half a century of Dharma practice, of Dharma study, including some 18 years of fairly intensive monastic life. And now most, most recently, being uh, immersed in the vicissitudes of life in an urban temple. And I, I uh, scratched out a few notes for this talk which is all, all I usually do nowadays. And I wrote for myself the sentence, what difference has it made? Along with that, I wrote down a, a quote from somebody whom I promptly forgot, so I can't remember uh, the source of this quote, but it could have been all kinds of different people. Could have been, you know, uh, scientists or physicians or even just a, a man, woman, or person in the street. Anyway, this person 
de delivered him, her, or themselves of the opinion that we all know that at some point we will cease to exist. And I, I noted this opinion and my response was, no, that's actually not correct. No one can know that, in fact. You could also argue, well, no one can know the opposite. And uh, I actually, I think that's, this is what uh, my friend Bob Thurman would call misknowledge. This is a supposed nugget of knowledge that has lodged in the consciousness of many, like a uh, splinter that does not belong there and whose presence obscures another kind of understanding. Um, and that understanding we visit, if you like, or we can visit, uh, any and every moment we choose when we realize that our every experience draws from the same well of being. A, a bottomless well of being. Uh, so whether uh, we're prepared to admit that or not, that is what is happening now. And uh, uh, periodically, if that uh, maybe you could say that water source goes underground. And we don't seem to see, for instance, what, what became of so-and-so. The other day I noticed with what has become the usual accompanying shock that a number of people that I have known and some been close to have predeceased me. 
this is pretty much inevitable. Either that, or I would predecease them. And I'm quite sure I will predecease any number of people, some of whom may be watching this very, very talk. And then it may appear that, well, where has so-and-so gone? Where is that poor old fellow gone? And some will assert that, well, he has ceased to exist. But I will tell you that if I can, I will return in some form or other and contradict that assertion. So be ready. So I guess if I uh, maybe with with some little embarrassment I had to say what difference has that half century of Dharma study made? I would have to say, well, not much. But there is that acquaintance with the bottomless well. And that is a difference. During his 40 some odd years of teaching, Shakyamuni Buddha pointed to that over and over again in various ways. His um, revolutionary discovery that the uh, so-called self is mere process, not entity. You know, it was uh, kind of uh, shook things up. And I don't remember any occasion where Buddha uh, talked about that great insight about the, the uh, aggregates of being. I don't remember anyone you know, sticking their hand up or yelling, you know, hey, hey, Buddha, well, what does that leave? Maybe in some way it did, because often such questions 
Buddha met with the reminder that don't let's get tied up in that kind of thing because you know what? That will not help you. I'm trying to concentrate on what will help you, not what will lead you into the thickets of metaphysics. So possibly a, a somewhat more accurate knowledge is along the lines of there is a bottomless well. Another way to say that maybe is there is one enlightenment that is atemporal and coextensive with being. In the uh, great vehicle, we tend to kind of, uh, we incline more towards seeing the, not just the big picture, but the immense picture. So we don't focus maybe so much on the individual's awakening, so-and-so, and so-and-so, so-and-so. Let me say there is just one. Which goes back to the nature of mind. Speaking of existential issues, I... I saw a quite interesting film on YouTube yesterday, actually. Uh, some of you may have seen a movie that, I don't know, relatively recent film that someone made uh, concerning the death and rebirth of the 16th Karmapa. Some of you may have seen that movie. It's quite, uh, it's quite, quite interesting. But even more interesting to me uh, at the same time, apparently, as the chap was putting that movie together, 
he was he was simultaneously making another movie about a similar search for the rebirth of one of the uh, Kagutpa school regents that the 16th, His Holiness the 16th Karmapa had appointed to look after things upon his death. And they were just uh, kids, basically, when he, you know, little monk, monklets, when he appointed them. Uh, one was um, uh, Tai Situ Rinpoche, and the other was Jamgan uh, Kongtru Rinpoche, and the third one was Shamar Rinpoche. Uh, each of them a toku, or a recognized rebirth. And as, as you may know, uh, they, were, they were all grown up when uh, His Holiness the 16th Karmapa died in 1981 during a tour of the US. And uh, once news of His Holiness's death had, had uh, reached India, these, these three kind of uh, went into high gear uh, to undertake, the, the, to begin and undertake the search for His Holiness's rebirth. Note, we do not say reincarnation. <clears throat> and, and then things get a little mysterious because uh, one of them, well, uh, His Holiness's uh, wish was that the, these three uh, take turns. They have each have a, like a three-year term being kind of in charge. And then they pass that responsibility uh, around as time goes by. But for some reason, Shamar Rinpoche didn't want to play that way. So he said, no, no, I'm in charge. And I think I'll stay there which was a little odd. And uh, so that caused some friction, shall we say, in the Tibetan community. And, um, but eventually, um, uh, Uh, Jamgan Kongtru, one of the three regents, uh, um, uh, I, I think he, um, kind of a complicated story, but he, um, I think he discovered among His Holiness's papers, there was a letter addressing His Holiness's rebirth. And um, so, so that process was unfolding, and uh, Jangan Kongtru was 
on his way with some of his fellow monastics uh, to um, search for, according to the uh, clues that they had, search for His Holiness's rebirth. And lo and behold, Chang uh, Kong Tu was killed in a very mysterious car accident, which uh, killed Chang Kong Tu and I think two other monastics who were riding with them. And a third one, uh, whose name now escapes me, was thrown from the car and survived. So this other film was about the search for John Gun Kong Tru's rebirth, which was a fascinating parallel to the kind of uh, uh, higher uh, interest generated by the search for the Karmapa's rebirth. But because it was sort of down here, it made for a much more intimate story and I found it quite moving now Jang uh, Gun uh, rebirth uh, uh, history is rather shorter than the others uh, the, the current Karmapa is number 17 and Jung Gun Kong Tru was, I forget now, he's either the third or the fourth. So it's a shorter history, but uh, was of no less importance for that reason to the people who had been associated with his, his lineage and his teaching. So watching this film, I, I felt sort of carried along by the, this tale of rebirth, which of course uh, reflects something of all of our lives, all of our existence, even though none of us, certainly not I, imagined that I will be choosing my rebirth. I don't think that's very likely. And as you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama said something similar, namely, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen, but I don't know if that'll happen or not. As you know, the Chinese have imprisoned the um, Panchen Lama, who is like number, sort of like number two, the most important lineage, Lama, Lama lineage in Tibet. The Chinese have kidnapped that guy and his family. And he, Panchen Lama, is supposed to be the one who will uh, reveal the direction and the various clues so that the rebirth of the Dalai Lama can be discovered. So now it is feared that the Chinese think they can direct that process. 
Hence, His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, has said, you know, maybe I won't come back. Which was shocking to many people. And, well, we'll just have to see what happens. Anyway, these, these are stories of our existential issues. And whether or not the story of rebirth resonates for you, as we like to say, I feel like, yeah, that, the, the tale of rebirth draws from the same well of being that we are all drawing from right now. And yes, eventually the stream will go underground and our uh, loved ones may lose track of us for a while, but of course the Tibetans say, well, well that won't last because our, this, this, the, the energy of our karmic life will bring us back together again. Hence, as I, I told you, when we had a little ceremony here for St. John Philip Whalen installed the rock out there, so Ketsu Fisher addressed Philip and said, we'll see you again soon. And I knew what he meant. So um, well, I don't want to keep you uh, any longer. There's a convenient little clock on the screen here so I can I can not lose track of how long I've blathered. So it looks like it's coming up on 40 minutes. Maybe that's enough. There's also this weird little lag between what I do or what I think I do with this body and what shows up on the screen. It's kind of eerie. Well, if we stop pretty soon, maybe the demons will not disrupt our electronic communication. So maybe I can ask if you have any questions or comments. Kojasama. Hey. I know you like to wear the different okisa, but uh, will you please let me line them if they're nine or more? Well, this is already really warm. So if you line it, it's going to be suffocating. <laughs> okay. But... Uh, <laughs> 
I uh, may, maybe I have one that's a little lighter. That if you like, you can, uh, John's on here is a uh, extremely skilled seamster. Right? <laughs> no, trying to study and does uh, very beautiful work. So if he offers to make you a rock or something, say yes. Thank you. Looks like Brendan has a... Oh, Brendan? Yes, please. Oh, a hand. I see. Can you unmute yourself, Brendan? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Mio. Um, this is actually a kind of a subject that's sort of on my list of things to ask you or Jim or someone at some point. So I, you know, it, it's... Western practitioners have a weird relationship to reincarnation and rebirth. We don't really know what to do with it. And I, I certainly haven't. I mean, I'm growing up, you know, in, in with a kind of modern materialistic idea of the the Christian or Catholic heaven, you know, the, the kind of not quite knowing what to make of it, thinking it's some kind of cocktail bar in the sky or something, you know, you get to see everybody who's been waiting for you. And it's, um, and then I, I, I haven't really held that any sort of belief like that for a long time. And, and, but I've always wondered if it was not because I didn't believe in it or if I just, I only had this kind of materialistic, very literal idea of it. And, and I still kind of bring that to the idea of rebirth and reincarnation. So I'm really not even sure how to coax more information out of you with a well-put question, but, or if you even, well, well, we'll offer, but I, I, I suppose for, for someone who's kind of hung up on this literalism, how would, how do you, I mean, like what you just said about, you will know again, in some sense, those who you are with now. Yeah. Um, that will be uh, most pronounced when you are, uh, when you achieve Buddhahood. In the meantime, we may have to settle for something a little more subtle. Uh, this, the sense that we sometimes have of uh, encountering someone whom, as far as we know, we haven't met before, but there's this feeling that somehow we knew them already. Is that because of the mingling of the streams? Well, yeah, maybe so. I, I am aware that uh, these are all the stories that we tell ourselves. And I'm perfectly happy with that. Our lives are made of stories. And I happen to like the one about the rebirth. I, I definitely prefer that to cocktail bar heaven or you know, whatever that's supposed to be. Some of you, you may recall the film, oh heck, what was it called? Oh Lord, I can't remember. Uh, it starred uh, Ellen Burstyn. Is that what it's called? She goes through a terrible car accident and uh, winds up having healing properties. Ends up in the desert. Being yeah, yeah. There, yeah. Marvelous movie. Right. And um, uh, 
you know, that's, that's another story. One that, that somehow I just took to heart. It's a marvelous tale. And that's what our life is made of. So I really like that story and uh, the, the Tibetan uh, story of the Tulkus. I like that one too. And uh, the one about uh, uh, permanent residence in a hell of torment. No, I don't like that one at all. So I dropped that one quite a long time ago as being a really perverse invention. So I think it's fine that we like some stories and, and don't like some others. And um, um, eventually, whatever the reality is, will confront us. And that's okay too. And I think it would be good if um, we, what shall I say? If we, you know, are acquainted with this bottomless well and realize that is the source of being, whether you call it something else or not. And whatever is happening with us draws from that source. And what's next? I don't know. We will see. Just like His Holiness says about all his practices for mastering the death state, he says, well, we'll see. Yes. Would you say that um, there, these various religions and systems of thought and so on create these stories of whatever whatever they may be, and then we believe them or not, or take them, you know, as our own somehow? That that's all created basically out of sheer terror of the unknown mm -hmm. that we need we want something we want something and if so is that sort of that unknown is that kind of like that bottomless well and you sort of make of it what you will from this particular place in time that we are it's like is it a good thing is it a bad thing is it neither good or bad you know is that yet another story that we create yeah, well, um, uh, Dr. Freud, of course, was quite insistent that, that, that that's exactly what we do. Namely, confronted with the terror of nothingness, we come up with all this stuff. And um, personally, I think that is uh, a rather shallow version of what actually happens. And um, I prefer... Dr. Jung's version, which is, well, you know what? Our, what we call consciousness extends into something utterly vast and creative. And that's more like what? The touchstone. 
not our terror of the nothingness. So, and also I, um, you know, un unless we're talking about somebody who, I don't know, sits down at their typewriter today and starts cooking up stories, which of course people do, but these stories that go way, way back to the you know, beginnings of humankind, nobody sat down and made those up. Mm -hmm. They came, mm -hmm. right? they came up with us. So that's different from people just making stuff up, even though people say, oh, everybody just made up that stuff about, you know, what happens after death and so forth. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. Personally, I reject that, but that's just my opinion. Well, it sounds like maybe that Jungian approach is a slightly more positive spin on the story in that, you know, it's not a matter of terror. It's a matter of like, it just goes on essentially endlessly, this bottomless well or yes. consciousness or whatever it is you would like to call it, and you will never see the end of it. So Basically. just enjoy the ride. <laughs> yes, I would say so. And and um, based on what I said this morning, I, I'm once again I was I was thrilled to see this one of the interviews with with uh, Dr. Jung, where someone asks him. I told you this before. Someone asked him, "Well, do you believe in God?" And Jung says, uh, he says. Uh, I, I don't have to believe. I know. It's like, yes. That's right. It's not about belief. It's about knowledge that is not misknowledge. Jonathan, did you have a question? Well, I, I kind of have a comment that just this all this this talk and her comments brought to mind a conversation I had with a girlfriend when I was a teenager where we were talking about music and she said, uh, talking about the damn Pink Floyd, and she said, oh, I like, I agree with them about that song where they say, uh, all you touch and all you see is all your life will ever be. And um, I actually really admire her even then. She really like lives her life courageously for kind of like, uh, you know, in the absence of religious beliefs, actually. She, at least she was an atheist, I would imagine she still is. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, on the one sense, I appreciate what she said. I appreciate her. I, and I don't know, just to me, though, it also kind of, that line also seems to me that, you know, all you touch and all you see in this life, I think that you you can touch and see emptiness, and um, mm -hmm. you don't have to speculate about it all that much. It is mysterious. It is mysterious, and uh, you can't really overthink it. It seems like I try to think about it, and I don't really get anywhere. But I just kind of notice it. And... Mm -hmm. It seems well, that in our practice that, that that's something that, that you can touch and see in this life. And yeah. uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, just, I, I guess I would say that the, uh, the touching and seeing goes on forever, as far as I can tell. 
So when we say this life, do we know what we're talking about? Or? Well, I mean, I, I appreciate the point of that song and appreciate her life in terms of dealing with what we do know and not speculating and not telling stories and not like, here we are, like, this is it. Right. But and what is this? Exa well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes, Ronson. Yet uh, one should still live that way, as if. As that, if. Uh, that is as if this is all you touch and all you see, and to be completely engaged with that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, a life that is attentive and appreciative in that way, that's a good thing. I mean, I think that's, it's been my understanding that's a big part of what you're teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, as I say, I, uh, I, I'm, right now I don't see it in terms of, yes, and then it runs into this wall, and then, yeah, that's it. Actually, I don't think that way now. Yes. So there is a wall, but then you slip under it. So that's their next album. Yeah, that's the <laughs> next album, right. <laughs> okay, well, maybe that'll do for now. Thank you very much for your patience and your practice of Buddha's way. <laughs>